Academy episode number eight. The QC person, and we usually have one person dedicated to it, although we sometimes will have an advisor do it on a big job, goes through on that car from stem to stern. He's not just looking for the obvious things like grease on the door handles, but he's looking to make sure all the fluids are filled. He's looking to make sure that the seats are back where they were, the radios, you know, not on some crazy station and turned up loud. Uh, and most importantly, the reason the person brought the car in is resolve. Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey there, aftermarketers, to the matching audio podcast of the Tunnel Academy video on concierge service, The Next Frontier, a highly watched episode. And this is Carm Capriato, your host. As you know, the Academy is about taking a single topic each week with an industry panel, and we broadcast it live Fridays at 12 noon Eastern on my webinar platform and on Facebook. You can learn all about connecting at this URL, remarkableresults.biz slash townhall. Hey, see the show notes for this Town Hall Academy at RemarkableResults.biz slash A008. Yes, Episode 8 of the Academy. And there you'll find bios on my guests. I understand that not everyone has the time to sit in front of a video screen or to be on Facebook. And uh, that's the power of podcasting, the digital audio broadcast that's so portable and easy to find. Every Academy session is on my website's learning page. And now you have the additional resource of having the Town Hall as a podcast. Yes, listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, and more. And if you have my iOS or Android app, you'll find the Academy episodes there also. Now, I guarantee real powerful learning nuggets in each episode. See, your peers put on this tutoring, and they share their ideas, best practices, and passion for what works for them and where they've had their own successes and challenges. Mostly, we're here to spread wisdom and experience for the entire automotive aftermarket. Hey, thanks for being here, and by your support, you keep the wheels churning for both you and me. Now, listen to a great episode on customer service we call Concierge Service. Is it the next frontier? We have shop owner Dave Cusa from Auto Trend Diagnostics in Campbell, California, who is also the current president of ASCCA. Bruce Howes, shop owner of Atlantic Motor Car Center in Wisconsin, Maine. And Jeremy O'Neill, shop owner and president and lead sales trainer for Advisor Fix. Now, here we go. This whole idea about concierge service it bubbled up to my mind, and I know there's a lot of it going on. I have a great friend in Florida, and his wife works for a doctor that has concierge service. And when I was visiting him a few years ago, we were talking about stuff, and she goes, yeah, um, you know those northern snowbirds that come down here? They pay the doctor to have exclusive connection and we call it concierge service. That's important to know that high level. So, and I can't remember who I was chatting with. We were talking about, so what is concierge service and how does it have a reflection or how does it fit into the automotive service industry? And so I've got all these crazy thoughts going through my mind. Is it positive differentiation? How does it work? It's unique to every, every company. So I want to really toss out to all three of my guests, what is concierge 
service you know on the surface uh, it, for me it, it's uh you know the 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 having some some coffee and soft drinks in the uh in the in the lobby you know the the pickup and delivery of the shuttle um, a lot of guys have the loaner car program um you know we work with uber and lyft in our area because it's so popular you know those those kinds of things are the on the surface of it the appearance of it and i think that having those services is extremely important because that's another point of differentiation from everybody else so you know, we're, we're coming into a, a group of people that, you know, the so-called millennials that, that everybody has their preconceptions about. And I think where that concierge service comes is what the, you know, what the, the 20s and 30-somethings are looking at. It's not like the old days where you opened the phone book and made the phone call and then you had to, you know, wow somebody on the phone. They better already be wowed when that phone's ringing because they've looked you up on internet, your website, your Facebook, you know, any of these sources that are out there, Yelp, uh, you know, AAA, so on and so forth. So um, they're already pretty familiar with what the expectation is. So if you're promoting that concierge level type service in all of those avenues of, of uh, marketing and advertisement, you better come through when the phone rings because eventually that's or they show up at your front counter. It, it better be what you're presenting. It's that, again, that next level of service. And I think, you know, we, we give the the millennial generation a little bit of a bad rap in the respect. So I have a 23 and 25 year old daughter, right? So I have lots of millennial friends. You know, the, the whole texting, social media, you know, that's their form of conversation and their form of socialization up until they actually socialize face to face. They do want that at some point in that process. Um, and, uh, you know, that relationship that, you know, that in Bruce's bio, I think that's huge, you know, and, and my, my thought of the small town service, the family owned business in the whole metropolis. You, you, you better come through with that level of service when the time comes. I love your point, Dave. Uh, I, you know, that whole family, small business, uh, you know, there's a lot of big businesses that are run by, you know, incredibly small, tight, high culture families and teams. And man, if you can get that Disney style thing going there and Bruce, I'm sure that's what you're going to tell us you're doing because I've got a, a piece that Bruce sent me, three or four pages of exactly what he calls it. You got to listen to what Bruce is going to say right now. So for us, you know, concierge service, or we call it valet service, is really meeting the needs of what that customer ne- customer uh, needs, me- meeting their needs, meeting their expectations. I I live in a uh, small community, about five thousand people, but my customers are kind of the opposite of what Dave has. We don't have have a lot of millennials per se as customers, and that's not because we don't want them. But where I am, I'm on the coast of Maine. It's uh, kind of an affluent area for retirees. So we have a lot of folks that are in their 50s through their 80s that are customers. And I view myself as not really fixing cars as much as providing a transportation solution. So that might be a loaner car. And I think we have 12 or 13 loaner cars. Uh, That might be pickup and delivery, what we call our valet service. Anything I can do to make that easy for that customer to come in. Somebody who is you know, older, maybe new to the area, doesn't have those connections maybe to get a ride. We certainly don't have a Uber here. We don't have Lyft here. I wish we did. We barely have one or two taxi services that go up and down the coast. So for us, people drive half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour to get to work and likewise to get to the the auto dealer. So we're, uh, we have one BMW dealer in the entire state, uh, really two Mercedes dealers, but the only one that's remarkably close to me is uh, an hour and 20 minutes away. So we we just don't have that around. So I have to provide a solution to the for those folks. And for us, it's whatever it takes, whether it's pickup and delivery at the office, whether it's pickup and delivery at the home, whether it's a loaner car, whether it's a shuttle. We tend not to do shuttles a lot because people live a distance away. So I listen to the customers and what they try to tell us 
you know, we try to incorporate. And that's that's where our ideas come from. Thanks so much, Bruce. I heard, and uh, not I heard, I read a great quote from Bill Gates. It says, your most unhappy customers are your greatest source of learning. And there's such a big thing about listening to your customers. The discussion of customer service differentiation, valet service, I think of a white glove thing. Bruce, do you differentiate your customer based on the level that you give concierge and the loaners based on the kind of repair, the cost of the repair, the value of the customer? That's a great question. So we try to treat every customer the same because any customer can be cultivated to become that, you know, A-list customer, if you will, right? So somebody who was just coming in for, you know, an oil service, I'm going to give them the same level of service as I would for somebody who's coming in to spend, you know, two or $3,000 on some major maintenance on their vehicle. So everybody gets the same treatment, uh, no matter who they are. So you're 100% in when it comes to every customer that you have. You Your level of service is a concierge. You don't have to buy in. You don't have to be special. You get it. That's that's my goal. And and those people, you know, they obviously were all here for referrals and those people refer people to us. And one of the ways I differentiate myself from the deal is a new car deal. A lot of times they're, they'll have uh, cars, loaner cars, but they're rental cars. We just don't charge for that. You know, I don't, I don't care if you're there for an oil service. I'm going to I'm going to wow you with that experience, so you want to come back. We use the the dental analogy with a lot of our customers. You know, it's like going to the dentist, and I think because people can generally relate to that. So that whole relationship thing, you know, come and see me on a regular basis for maintenance, the whole preventative rather than the corrective form of of maintenance, and anything I can do to make it easy for people, that's what I want to do. So do you book the appointment, the next appointment before they leave? We try to do that, and we're getting better at that. I, I, I'll tell you, I live in Maine, which is probably the other side of the culture uh, uh, culture warp from Dave. You know, we, we, uh, we're just getting people that are starting to use text messaging, right? And so when I opened in 2003, we had people that didn't have entry machines. We had oh people gosh. that, you know, didn't have cell phones. Now it's starting to shift. I'm starting to see people don't have home phones. People are... Uh, you know, they're acceptable to email. People are starting to say, hey, could you text me that? Uh, but we're trying to do that with people. Uh, but it's it's something I would say we haven't perfected yet. Mayberry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, think of, think of Mayberry. It's a, it's a great area to live. I mean, I, I lived in Buffalo, and I, I love Buffalo, but I, uh, you know, I sold my business when I was 36 to come here so I could sail and do all the other stuff. And, and one of the things that, that, you know, led me here was it, it's a charming small-town area. I, I, uh, I love it. So, um you know, we'll we'll never have a 14 bay shop. You know, but we do well with with the space we have, and you know, we I think we employ 13 people, and uh, we do well with the space we have and what we do, and I, and I'm happy with that. And uh, so my goal is just how can I kind of as the industry develops, as people's expectations develop, how can I kind of have Atlantic Motor Car follow along to have that relationship with a customer in the car, and that's really what we're after is is both of those. Excellent. Jeremy, you've been awfully quiet. No, I'm only kidding. You know, I'm, I'm trying to adapt my behavior to uh, not be so strong and dominate a conversation. So listening skills this week are on my uh, top of my goal list. So I'm actually sitting back, man, great comments, Bruce. I love, you know, the comments there. You're doing a great job. I love the material that Carm showed there and uh, Dave as well. Amazing stuff, especially with, you know, you look at the millennial generation, it's it's very, very different. So, you know, it's interesting when I when I looked at the talking points here, I've got a very well-rounded background with you know multi-million dollar dealerships who have putting greens and you know uh, Starbucks franchises and nail salons in the waiting room, as well as the you know independent repair shop. And I think one of the messages I'd love to get across to everybody in our industry is this: 
concierge, true concierge service is not a company policy. It, it has to come down to a code of conduct that each person within your organization adopts. And true concierge service is this. It's anticipating the needs of your clients before they have to ask for it. Excellent. So if your customer has to ask for it, you don't have a great culture in place. You don't have the right concierge mindset or that code of conduct within your company. So my guys um, at our shop here, they've got a open door policy and an open checkbook that we make it easy for customers to say yes. Okay. So what does it mean? And I love what uh, what Dave said earlier is, you know, just what Ford's doing right now. Ford's no longer a car company. They are a transportation solution. That's what we are. And so many times we get focused on fixing cars, but we forget to fix the patient. And it's interesting when you look at service advisor training and, you know, the service advisor is the main point in contact for the customer and their performance will really determine whether the shop gets a five-star review or a one-star review. And the challenge is this. I see a lot of service advisors that are so feature driven that they're worried about the sale. They're worried about the nuts and bolts of the repair order that they forget to ask the customer the right question at the right time. Meaning, Carmen, if you need your car back at four o'clock today, we close at six. In my mind, I think I've got a buffer. I just have to call Carmen and buy a little bit more time. But the question I didn't ask you up front, which you talk about this code of conduct is this. Why is it important for you to have your car back at four o'clock? Oh, well, this afternoon's date night for me and my wife. It's the one time a week that we get to go see a movie. We have a movie at five o'clock. I need to pick my car up at four. We're going to go grab a quick bite to eat and see the movie at five. Do you want to be the person that messes that up? No. So, you know, loaner car, rental car, Uber, all that stuff. If that's what your client has planned for their day in their life, and you didn't ask the right question at the right time to live your code of conduct, which is exceeding the client's expectations. I don't care what type of feature rich concierge service you have. It goes way deeper than the, the surface features that you build within this. It's a cultural thing. I'm so happy you said what you did. Having been in the distribution business my whole life and having gotten up in front of many people that provide the parts to you guys, I always said that there's this domino theory of life. If you don't get the part there on time based on a promise time, you really screwed up a lot of lives and the, and the dominoes start to fall. And it's really not, it, you know, ultimately the shop will vote with their money. You may not get the call for the next three days because they're so upset at you, but really you affected an awful lot of people's lives. So this whole distribution system working seamlessly and, and you know, and on time, if you will, and, and under budget is so important to making, making it work. I love the, the, this opening. Thank you all so much. And it seems to me that concierge just has to be the new standard. And, and and that's what I'm hearing. This is what Bruce is doing. Jeremy, that's what you're talking about. Let's just not have customer service. Let's call it concierge. And then maybe we push ourselves to a level we've never known before. Now let's go out and get some customer service training and, and let's really put our commitment in front of the words that we say and when I think about this this change in, in differentiation in customer service, I keep thinking about the customers are really, Jeremy, and I think you may have knocked it out of the park, they're, they're asking for a, a higher level of convenience because our phones and our lives has, have, has made us so time-bound in everything we do. We're always doing something in the last minute. It's not so much the last minute, Carm. It's the instant on-demand Amazon, what Amazon has done to us. It's the one-click buy. It's uh, you want it, tom tomorrow's too slow. I want it today. 
And that's our society. Uh, I want what I want when I want it. Kit Yarrow wrote a great book, Decoding the New Consumer Mind. You know, I, I, I tease in class about the what is I-W-W-I-W-W-I-W-I. It's I want what I want when I want it. But now the second part of that is, and if you can't give it to me, I'll find somebody who can. And the sad part about this is we have this huge split in the automotive repair industry right now. We're seeing it. There's a race to the bottom on pricing. My local shops that, that try to be the cheapest in town and they're racing to the bottom to get these customers. They will not be able to provide the level of service that we can provide. They will go out of business. You can't race to the bottom. You've got to charge fair pricing for your business and for the consumer as well. But then you've got to be able to anticipate what the customers wants and make it easy for them to say yes to you and deliver it on a silver platter. Can heightened level of customer service create a more loyal customer? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, building building on what Jeremy said and, and a little bit on, on Bruce's comments, you know, the, the Amazon comparison is great. And I, I think there's a amongst a lot of people, there's a preconception with when you shop on Amazon that it's the cheapest price, right? And, and clearly that's not the case. And I think that more people are becoming aware of that. Usually the driving force Amazon is the convenience, right? I want what I want it now, right? So, mm-hmm. so we have to get away from that thought that there's an industry that you have to be the cheapest because I don't think anybody that's, you know, none of our panelists today, I don't think anybody that's taking the time to be on the call today or on the podcast today is going to be the cheapest people in town, right? The cheapest people in town don't have time to do this. So they, they want that, they, the idea of the, the one-stop shopping thing. You know, they, I go to Amazon. We shop for the business and myself on Amazon because it's convenient. I know I can go there and find everything I need. And I think the same has to run into our businesses. And and I, I like what Jeremy, I just want to go back to, I like what Jeremy said about code of conduct. And I think that's, uh, I appreciate that. And that's a cultural thing. And having that throughout your business uh, is very meaningful. But that whole idea of being a, a one one call provider, whatever the customer's problem is. Uh, Jeremy, you said transportation solution. That's kind of our philosophy too, is I just want them to call me. If it's if they've got a broken window glass, I'm either going to get that uh, taken care of for them. If it's a question about something related, you know, I, I talk, I, I would say the, the less time I talk to customers about their cars, the better their relationship is. And I mean that this way, that they've given all that trust over to us. They don't really need to come in and, and ask, are you putting this type of part on and what's your cost? They, when they can come in and just be totally relaxed and say, yeah, that's fine. And then tell me about their vacation. That's great. And to get to that level, you have to really make yourself the one one call solution. You know, whether it's, I got a problem with my car. I, I got in a, in Maine, people hit moose. I hit a moose with my car. And uh, what do I do? You know, and I'll say, this is a body shop we deal with. If you want to drop it off, I'll take it over for you. Any of that stuff, just... So people can think of calling me, just me only. It's kind of the Amazon thing. That's the goal. That's our goal. If we can get people to have that top of mind presence. Bruce, when people, when, when your customer comes into your place, are you looking to give them that Mercedes dealer experience so that they just don't have to go there? I'm looking to, to meet their needs. So when everybody's needs are different, I did a, and I'll, I'll just, not to get too far off, but I don't know if everybody wants that. I think people want the feeling that they're important, they're heard, and their needs are understood. Jeremy did a good job articulating that. We were considering uh, adding onto our building last year, and one of the builders took me on a tour of the dealership building they built for BMW in in, uh, Portland, and it was an $11 million building. And I went through that building, and there was a, I think he told me it was a $5,000 little fountain to fill your bike water bottle. You know, and I, I saw that, and I thought, 
people are going to go through there and go, somebody's paying for this. Who's paying for this? I, you know, not that we're focused on price, but I think I, I, that whole Mercedes experience, that gold-plated faucet thing, I'm not sure that's what people want. I think they want the, I know you, I trust you, and I know you're going to do the right thing for me. I think that's more important than having, you know, the marble tiled floors and all that. You don't seem like the kind of guy that have would have marble and gold in their in their bathroom, but you seem like the kind of guy that have would have a super clean, really nice facility so that the customer can feel comfortable watching, drinking, and using the facility. Absolutely. I mean, if you our opening page on our website is a picture of our workshop. You know, epoxy floors, blue. It's just clean, and that says, and the and the and the offices are that way too, and that just says a level of competence. You know. There's a level of being ostentatious, which in Maine, people are not that way. Uh, and there's a level of saying, hey, I've got a neat, clean facility. And that by implication means that we, we're going to treat your car with, in that regard. I love the clean facility. You know, one of the things that drives me crazy when we, when we took this shop over, literally, we bought one of the worst shops in America. It took me three days with a pressure washer to clean this thing out. And it for me, it's if you spill oil or coolant, clean it up. Customers do not want your footprints, your fingerprints. The shop is a dirty environment, but there's no reason we can't have a clean environment. And that is huge. I think we have focused on loaner cars and all these things, but Bruce, that's a great point, man. High five right there. That is a great insight for everybody to take away. The cleanliness is key and talk to, you know, if you want to be female friendly, uh, walk your lot, walk your shop from the eyes of that perspective because, I mean, look, men, we're, we're men. We get callous to certain things that we accept in our lives as far as cleanliness. But that's a huge point. I would put that at the top of any checklist for concierge service is the cleanliness of not only the facility, but your day-to-day operations. Absolutely. Great point, Bruce. And not just, yeah. for, not, not just for customers, too, but also for employee morale, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I heard you speak to employee morale and code of conduct. and. Mm-hmm. Both Jeremy and Bruce are right there, and and um, you know I think we we do spend a lot of time concentrating on the features uh, of our businesses and our shops and our services, and and I think that we you know the the cleanliness right in my mind that's a bottom line expectation of any customer. Nobody wants to walk in. Nobody wants to work in some place where you're you know you're hip deep in in last week's grease and oil. So um, you know we it, it's. We clearly need to do it and should do it and are doing it, but in the customer's mind, right? You know, it goes back to the we use quality parts. Well, duh, right? Yeah, of course you right, do. Right, that's right. that's a minimum expectation. So, you know, having a clean, clean, orderly facility it doesn't have to be gold plated. Uh, clean, orderly facility is is an expectation everybody I think has as they walk in the door because you know they, they you were talking about the whole dealership experience, and I think they're taking that features part of it to that extreme level, but not necessarily building on the benefit part of the relationship, right? People want to do business with people they like and have a relationship with. And too many dealers in my mind, anyway, at least in our, in our area, I hear it from my customers all the time that, you know, end up with me that, you know, I don't like going to the dealer because it's a different person every time. Or every time I talk to somebody, it's a different person. They like to call and either talk to you know my service advisor or they talk to me. They know me when they show up. They see the same person. It's just that relationship that uh, that goes on. And and the same thing with you know we talk about vacation. We talk about the kids. How's the dog? Oh, I heard your mom had surgery. How's she doing? Right? And you know we we the we've got to be the cultural opposite of of Bruce's area because we're so densely populated. But people still want the same thing, right? People are people across the country. 
Now, I've got this great idea. I kind of almost threw all my talking notes away, and I've got this, I'm going to do this shift and see how good you guys are. Because what you've all been saying is, I've been picking up bits and pieces and, you know, pretty much saying, hey, listen, customer service today done to the nines, let's call it concierge. Let's call it the best we could possibly give. So let's put on a clinic right now. For everyone listening and for everyone who's going to listen or watch this in the future, what are the key tactics to a positive solution? You know, and let me let me just start out at the top of the list, Bruce, and something you mentioned earlier. I'm going to write down loaner car. Now, we could go even deeper, but let me start and I'm going to sit and I'm going to take notes. Loaner cars, clean, uh, reliable. Obviously, it's kind of a given. I, I, I mean, you know, Dave said uh, these are kind of minimum thresholds. And I, I think that's kind of a minimum threshold. Clean, reliable. I like to try to have them be the same car line that my customers drive. So if the fellow comes in with a Mercedes, I don't necessarily want to give him a, not to denigrate a Honda, but I don't want to give him a Honda. You know, I'll give him a Volvo or something like that. And loaner cars are also a good testimony in terms of maintenance because we use those as a tool for longevity. Uh, you may hop in one of my loaners and it may have, one of them had 280, I'm sorry, 380,000 miles on it. Look good, brand good. People would come back in and go, is that car really have 380,000 miles? And, and it will open up an opportunity for you to talk about maintenance and the value of maintenance. And we have calculated what it costs us to run each of those cars per month. And we've calculated it's actually less costly for us to maintain them than it is to go out and buy new cars. So clean, available, easy to give out to people. You know, we have a policy on when we give loaners, but we're also flexible on that policy. Jeremy made a good point about, hey, what, why does this person need this? It's important to understand that. You know, maybe they're just there for an oil service, but they want to run down and get breakfast with a friend. Take a loaner car. If I can do it, if I can make it happen, I can make your life easier, I'm going to do that for you. I mean, I want to sign up and I want to get my car taken care of at your place. You just have convinced me in, in, a, in a half hour, so simply. And by the way, Bruce was so kind to share with me his loaner car return on investment. Boy, I have to tell you, you know, I, I got I got his detail here. He was so forthcoming with information, you know. It doesn't cost, right? No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an ROI, man. And uh, people look at it, and, and I, in my old twenty grip, people used to say, "Loaner cars are the crack cocaine of the automotive service world." And I go, you know what? That's not a bad thing. I mean, that's not a bad thing. That differentiates you. And uh, yeah, there's a cost to have the car, but look, you can upsell the work. You can get people in for the work they need. Uh, if we're, if the shop's busy, I can say, "Here, take my loaner. I'll deal with your problem." You know, it's a it's a great thing. So run properly, a loaner car program is a is a great return on investment. Okay, guys, that's number one. One of the cutting edge things that I've seen, and I, I you know, uh, I wish I was smart enough to say that I I've coined this, but I didn't. It was a uh, Virginia Auto Service in Phoenix. Uh, they have loaner bicycles, and it's great that they got three or four bicycles out there because they're in an area where, you know in Central Phoenix that yeah, it makes sense. You can ride a bike uh, pretty much all year round. So if a customer is there for a waiter or they have a couple hours, hey, take a bike and go grab lunch. I mean, man, just think about you're tapping into childhood memories of riding a bike. It's just those, those are awesome things that work there too. So loaner cars, loaner bikes. What else? Let's go. We're doing a we're doing a customer service clinic. I okay, so two things. And, and I know we touched on this, but washing cars, be very careful. Do not attach the car wash to a dollar spent because you're gonna you make the customer think about well, you wash my car when I spend a thousand dollars, but you don't wash it when I come in for routine service. So if you're going to wash cars, make a commitment to wash every car, regardless of the service spent. And the car, the customer's expectation on car washes is at least the minimum 
cleanliness of when I brought the car in. So if it's there for two days, you better wash it. The other thing is clean the inside of the windshield, at least clean the glass from the driver's perspective and vacuum. That's a minimum, I believe, is vacuum out the car. If you're going to throw a trash away, make sure that uh, they don't have an attachment to the McDonald's wrappers in the back seat. <laughs> and you don't want to upset people with that. But cl- cleaning the car definitely is going to be towards the top of the list. Building on the loaner car aspect of it. So we don't have loaner cars for a variety of reasons. One of them is just a, a lack of space in, in my facility, right? We a densely populated area. It, you know, anytime I have people from uh, outside, out, this, out of the state that visit, you know, I've got eight shops in my little complex. And it's like, how can you deal with this competition? Well, there's 2.5 million people, right? Lots of cars. We don't have competition, but consequently space is tight. But the upside to that is, you know, if generally the farthest away somebody lives from the shop is six miles, eight miles. Now that may take you a half hour, 45 minutes to get there, depending on the time of day, but it's close, right? So the, you know, providing, you know, just sending an Uber to pick them up or, or take them home works great. You know, our close friend Malin tells me I'm the highest paid uh, shuttle driver in the world because I like to take people home. If they're a half mile away, a mile away, take my, we're taking my car. I'm dropping you off because I get to do that relationship building and that chatting. And, uh, you know, fortunately I'm in a position with a really good team in my shop. We have a small shop, but a really good team that, you know, I, I don't have to be there every minute of every day. I can go schmooze customers and, and clients and have a great time doing it. Um, Malin tells me not to, Ray tells me not to, but you know, I do it anyway. <laughs> you know, the, the point of that, from an owner's perspective, I think that's totally fine. I think if you schedule it out and it's part of your marketing plan, I have no issue with that. Cause I agree with you. You can make better relationships in that time that could grow to 10, 100, 200 people. So as long as it's part of your 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 time blocking and scheduling, man, I give you a high five on that. that that's great. <laughs> yeah, a very close friend of the podcast, and I, I think probably you both know, maybe Bruce doesn't, but Bill Nalu is all over being in the face of the customer. You know, once he got himself off the counter, I think he tells the story of, I can't believe it. I can't see my customer. So, you know, he's he's back out there. He wants to hear the stories just like, you know, you tell Bruce. And, you know, yeah, okay. So you may be the highest priced listener or schmoozer ever. Uh, and, you know, when you, I guess when you, you know, put your head on the pillow at night, Dave, you realize you just made one hell of an investment in the emotional bank account of this lifelong customer. And, and, and you know, that's, I, I've, I've asked, in the early days of the podcast, I used to ask this question, your customers, what's the percentage of your customers that walk in and drop the keys on the counter and say, fix it? They have no major expectations except trust and loyalty. And I would ask that question and then I would hear eh, 20% and I would say, how do you grow that? That's where we're at. We're at with, well, to me, you grow it because you have loaner cars, you have loaner bikes, you consistently wash, you windshield, you vacuum, you use Uber and Lyft, and and we're doing our clinic here. So what else? Now we have to finish it. So one of the things, there's, there, the back end is this, the car better be done on time, not a minute late, not two minutes late. Uh, the car staged, it's back into the parking stall, it's clean, it's ready to go. Your invoice is done, you're not finishing paperwork up at the back end, and there's a token of appreciation gift that goes along with that. So for instance, in Southern California, we can't use chocolate because it'll melt in the car. Uh, when I worked at the dealership and all of my shops, we use Tic Tacs. We just, you know, different boxes of Tic Tacs with a card that says, thank you so much for your trust. And that goes right in the center console or somewhere. They may not see right away, but the next day they see it. It's just a small little token of appreciation. I think so many times we get focused on the front end that we forget the customer is going to judge us when they pay our bill at car delivery. 
And what type of concierge service are we doing that car delivery? What if we had this stage where the customer walked in, the door opened up, confetti went everywhere, balloons came out. We had a, a pack of people there high-fiving the customers, celebrating your car is going to last another 100,000 miles. You just put another $5,000 into your retirement, and that's going to add value to your life. That's really the essence of what we do. It's not just, oh, yeah, let's finish up your bills at Visa, MasterCard, American Express. We need to treat the car delivery as a celebration, not something that's negative where it's painful. Make it fun. Celebrate with the customers. High fives and hugs all the way around. Have that car ready and finish the job of the car delivery. It's it, That's where it's at. That's really what's going to finish. All this work and investment we have up front can be undone at the back if it's not ready. Very good. Oh. Brown, brownies. We, we send yeah. out brownies. and. Uh, Perfect. And, and I, I, when I figured this out, I think it was in June, over the last five years, we've spent $50,000 on sending out brownies. So there's an outside firm we dealt with. And in a week after your car gets serviced, we send a little box of brownies. And it does have confetti in it, ironically enough. A little <laughs> card. Thank you for your service. And it's unexpected because it's a week after. People know I didn't have to do it. But we spent a lot of money on brownies, but everybody remembers that when they come in. The next time they come in, they go, hey, thank you for the brownies. They were delicious. Or people will call on the phone or an online reviews, and they'll comment on that. And it's not something we have to do. It's something we want to do, right? And we have this other thing, too, that – and I'm – we need to do this a little better. I mean, we, you know, we're, we're all humans, but we have this thing with a text. We, we call it the one free thing. So mm, what's the one it. free thing you're doing on that guy's car? Uh, you're coming up to me with the list of everything that you want, but what's the one free thing we can do for that person? So last week I had a customer in with a, a vintage Volvo wagon. It was red uh, and they love this car and they moved from out of state and they were traveling. They left it with us for a week and they've done a lot of work on the car and I said, you know what? Let's detail their car for them. So when they come back, that car is thoroughly detailed. The red paint, which was all faded, is all buffed out. And so he came in. Unfortunately, she didn't come in because she had some some other issues that kept her. But the guy's like, I can't believe you detailed my car. And I'm like, hey, you know, was that worth the time it cost my detail guy? Absolutely. That guy will go tell kind of his friends. But little things, like Jeremy mentioned, Tic Tac, whether it's brownies, whether it's, you know, detailing car, whatever. Those things, people remember that. That's a... And I heard you use the term, uh, Carm, emo, you know, emotional trust bank account. And then that goes in that trust bank account. Boy, you know, that $50,000 $50, in brownies, that probably is worth $250,000 in repeat business. Oh, right? I bet you. Bruce, give me another example of one free thing that you would do. I mean, is it something simple? It might be uh, somebody's door squeaks. It might be a light bulb was out. We just did it as a courtesy. It might be. We try to find things that are annoyances the customer doesn't necessarily bring up, and then we'll do it. And we often don't mention that until they come to get the car. So we'll say, hey, we noticed the driver's door was squeaking, or we noticed the uh, you know, the trunk rattled and we adjusted that, or we noticed this or that. And people go, you know what? I always forget about that. Thanks for doing that. So one free thing. And, uh, you know, if you can get into that mindset, it's kind of like the whole value added, uh, value exchange and abundance thing. It just works. We, all these things can be incorporated. And the beautiful thing about them is nobody else is doing them. Right. So you know that, what is it? Identify something in, in our shop or your shop, you know, that, that what can you do that's going to differentiate you from everybody else? And those are the kinds of things, right? And it's going to be different for everybody. Um, uh, you know, we're in the same boat with, you know, can't put chocolate in the car because it'll melt. But, you know, one thing that we do consistently and with every customer is, you know, we clearly we use the seat covers and the floor mats. But, you know, when we're done with the car, after we've done the hugging and the kissing and thank you and the collecting of the money, 
either I or my service advisor walk to the car with the person, right? And we walk out and we have that final little chat and, and, uh, you know, grab the seat cover and floor mat and they see that happen, right? Rather than the, the, the tech taking it in because then they never know what's there. And then of course there's, you got that last, that last chance to give that car that one last look over, you know, shake the hand, you know, customers that want a hug, they get a hug. It, it's, it just, it's that last little touch that helps them remember these are nice guys, right? That we have a good relationship. Yeah, I just dropped a bunch of money, but I know my car is taken care of. So let me do a thing called clearing the car. And, and to follow up what you said, Dave, this reminded me. So if we have a big repair, especially the first time customer, you know, it's easy to take their credit card and send them on their way. But I want that customer to go drive in that car. And we'll often send one of the service advisors, say, Mrs. Jones, uh, we had a Volvo we delivered yesterday. And incredible amount of work on the car. The woman had bought the car secondhand and she didn't have it checked out properly and it just needed a tremendous amount of work. So before we took her credit card, I said, Rick, who's one of the service advisors said, I'd like to go for a road test with you in this and just make sure everything's to your satisfaction. So we call it clearing the car. So they hopped in, they went for a 10 minute road test and it gave them an opportunity to, to you know, to, to talk and chat and kind of, kind of bind together and all this. And so she comes back and she was just so happy with the car and she, it just builds an additional level of trust that they, before they're even paying anything, they see you did something, you know? And so that's a process we try to use anytime we have a large repair. Definitely when we have a new customer, we try to do that clear of the car thing. And it's just, it heads off any problems. Logically on this list is a clean facility, the right, the proper waiting room lobby, uh, dusted clean daily, the right mags. You know, we've heard the stories with flowers. How important is that environment to concierge service? I think Dave said it best. I mean, that's just a minimal expectation. You know, you can you can have the best service in the world, but if your shop doesn't look presentable or there's, you know, I, I, I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but I cringe sometimes when I go on other shops and I see, you know, the old tire that's sitting out there or, or our used auto parts sitting around for some reason. And I get it. You know, you can become blind to that after a while, but people don't want to see that, you know. I don't go to the dentist office and see somebody who's extracted two of their dirty tools sitting around. You know, they don't want to see that stuff. I, I know that happens. We don't want to see it. But Dave said, I think that's a minimum threshold. We all we all have to have that minimum threshold. Um, and if we don't have that, the value of valet service, as we call it, a concierge service, it's negated. I, I think it's negated. It keeps your 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 team happy too, right? So, um, especially a service advisor at the counter, because that's typically who the customer is going to see first anyway. If it's a nice environment for that person to exist in on a day to day basis, they're happier, they're pleasant, they have a better attitude, better feeling. And then you know, someone that walks in, right? You know, again, you go the, the you know the the doctor's office. You know, usually we're not going. Ooh, look at that beautiful antique over there. But at the same time, it's a it's a welcoming environment, That's and it just it helps everybody exist on a better level. Uh, and and we can provide that that higher level of service because we're smiling because we're in a comfortable place. But one of the things I was reading in Bruce's piece that he sent me was that the loaner car and giving the customer the level of convenience to get them on with their life allows them to do a better QC quality control. And to me, you know, I guess the ultimate of customer service is if the car goes out properly fixed <laughs> right the first time. So we have we have an expression the customer is not quality control. So every car gets checked minimally twice before the customer sees it. So we have somebody who specifically does that. There's a check sheet on the back of our maintenance uh, CMI our courtesy maintenance check the text fill out. On the flip side of that is our QC process. And so 
the QC person, and we usually have one person dedicated to it, although we sometimes will have an advisor do it on a big job, goes through on that car from stem to stern. He's not just looking for the obvious things like grease on the door handles, but he's looking to make sure all the fluids are filled. He's looking to make sure that the seats are back where they were, the radios, you know, not on some crazy station and turned up loud. Uh, and most importantly, the reason the person brought the car in is resolved. So we road test it uh, twice. The tech does it himself, does an internal confirmation, and then it goes in a QC line. And then we do the QC with our quality control person. And then it goes, gets parked up front for pickup. But then on larger jobs or questionable jobs, we'll take the car home. Uh, and we'll say that to the customers, you know, this is the type of job that I can take it to lunch. I'd really like to have one of the advisors take it home. doesn't cost the customer anything. It's just that for sure way of making sure it's done correctly. And in my area, where your commute to come and see me might be half an hour to an hour or an hour and a half, you know, you don't want those people coming back. Uh, you want to make sure they come back only for service, not for repeat of it. So quality control, number one thing. I think that's huge. I think the, you know, the service advisor uh, definitely holds that key where each service advisor should have their own QC process. One of the things that we're doing here is, you know, every car we write up, we take a picture of the dash with the car running first. And then it's great to see all those warning lights gone at the back end. And you have that validation. So I think in digital inspections, right, we're always inspecting cars, finding things wrong. Why not use that technology to validate the repairs and show that value that here's the, here's the code print out before, here's after, everything's clear, monitors are set. We have confirmation right here. Also, here's a documentation before and after. So that's great. I think you need somebody who's not a technician doing the QC on the vehicle because you want to make sure there's no screwdriver left under the hood. And like you said, fingerprints, those other things as well. Great point. Uh, one last thing I would like to say also, what about priority service? You know, you were busy. It's a Friday afternoon. If somebody's enrolled in your VIP program, I had an issue with uh, a tire repair on a Friday afternoon. I made an appointment with the tire store. I got right in. Other people were waiting three hours. That made me feel really good as a consumer. So I think priority service is something else we can put on the list, Carm. Priority service. It's down. Thank you, Jeremy. So, so guys, um, the, the QC thing, uh, I wrote down QC and I wrote down the word comebacks. Uh, you know, Bruce, when you really worked hard to implement your QC program, and, you know, and you improve it over time, it continues to evolve. Did you see, uh, the you know, the, the QC go up and the comebacks come down? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's things that happen in cars when you deliver them anyway. You know, somebody goes down the road and they hit a bump and the headlight fails or something like that, or somebody forgets to put their gas cap back on and, you know, when they get the car back and they, but, but it does help. And so it, it obviously reduces our cost. More so than the cost of fixing comebacks, it really builds that level of trust with the customer. And that anything I can do that removes that question in their mind about was this done right the first time? Did these guys use, you know, somebody mentioned earlier quality parts. People shouldn't even have to be considering that. So anything I can do to remove that doubt or question helps. You know, the QC process does that. So, and it goes in that it goes into that trust bank account, right? Yeah, I've been there 15 times and okay, one time something happened. And so there's, it, it, it's just such a positive thing. I can't emphasize that enough. Did something ever happened when you went to the dentist and you, you, you know, you, you left and, and then you say, hmm, shall I keep going back there? Is he human? Is it me? Was it the repair? Qu questions are bad. I mean, question, questioning is bad. That level of trust, you know, somebody mentioned Amazon earlier, that level of trust, if I order from Amazon today and they say it's going to be here tomorrow, 
I don't think about it through the whole day, you know, and, and I don't want my customer thinking about their car repair once we call them to talk to them about what needs to be done. Isn't that amazing? It's going to be here in two days. You don't forget that somehow. I mean, you, you ordered it because you wanted it and you say, I really don't need it, but I want to watch him do two days. <laughs> I want to see them jump through the hoops. Did you ever hear, hear that concept called just one thing? And in the last comments that I would love you to make, I'm struggling in my business. You know, I've got good people, but I just can't get my customer service to the right place. And so offer me just one thing, one of these tactical ideas or one strategy that's going to improve my customer service. And we'll start with Dave. I think the biggest challenge I face in my business right now is the parts supply line. And it's a constant challenge and uh, you know, getting the right part on time, right? And so we, we, we definitely need to improve that process uh, and also making sure that, you know, we do, uh, we, you know, we try and do as many on-demand services as we can. So it means we have to have the oil filter there. So, you know, we make sure we order it ahead of time if we don't have it on the shelf so we can do on-demand service. So that, that's my biggest challenge, I think, right now. So if, I get, if my parts get here more on time, uh, I'm going to have happier customers. I can make sure that, that Jeremy's, uh, you know, family gets the date night. Yes. Oh, my wife's going to love you, man. Excellent. 18 years of marriage. Here I come. <laughs> Bruce, how about you? Give me one thing. I think Jeremy hit it and I, I, I wrote it down personally. We call it corporate culture, but he calls it code of conduct. And I love that. And if you can get a code of conduct that everyone subscribes, subscribes to, you can change anything in the world in your business, you know, but if people are not on that code of conduct, if they're not on that common uh, cultural language, uh, you won't be able to do anything, nothing lasting. And so having that corporate culture, you can change the world, but not having that code of conduct, you can't fix anything. If you go to my website, remarkableresults.biz, and you just go to the homepage and scroll down to the tag at cloud, and you look for corporate culture, I'll tell you some of the most successful top five percenters in the industry, their business is all about the culture. And uh, when you hear them talk impassioned about it, and, and then you hear them talk about their success and their numbers and their people and their hiring, Bruce, I, I think the culture needs to be there because when you take care of your people and the culture is right, they take care of your customer. Absolutely. You talk about implementing a new concept and a new idea. No doubt you could take some of these ideas that you're getting from today and then all of our listeners are going to get from today. And when you got the right culture... It's so easy to implement, and it's so easy to upload. It's so easy to sell. We often say we have two customers on both sides of the counter. So I've got my internal customers who are the employees and the external customers who are coming in with their cars. And, and when both of those cultures align, it's magic. I don't even have to be there, you know. But if there's a disruption in that, you see it on one side, it affects the other. So you're, you're right on point. Thanks so much, Bruce. One thing, Jeremy, give me one thing to improve my business. Become the patient. Make every single person within your business become a customer and experience your business the way your customers do. Go in and book an appointment. Was it easy? Was it on demand? Did you have to wait for the service writer to call you back? Come in on a day. Give your guys the day off. Make them come in and be a waiting oil change customer at 8 a.m. and let them go play golf for the rest of the day. But they're going to take notes and provide you very detailed feedback on the service experience that they received to really drive this culture home. There's two things you could do. Go back and listen to your interview with Kirk Richardson. That dude is a rock star. He inspires me every single day. So go back in the archives and watch that. And then the second one is make everybody become the patient 
and then you will find the answers that you need through that. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, Kirk Richardson, culture he, off the charts. Wasn't he good? Absolutely. Yeah, I wish I had his number off the top of my head, but I don't. Just go to my website, find the search bar button, and hit Kirk Richardson. Well, look at everyone. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Uh, you come on and, and give of and pay it forward for the industry. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.